The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. When you hear the words body size, what do you immediately think of? Weight, height, or both? On today's show, we'll be concluding the conversation of body size with our very special guest, Mia Farina. We'll be kicking off this episode right where we left off in part one of episode 18. My name's Anthony Sis. My name is Toral Patel. And you're listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Does your body size impact the way you see yourself or the way you perceive yourself? Mm, definitely. I mean, I think it does for me. I think it does for other people I've talked uh-huh. to. Um, who it does have, for me, for sure. Yeah, who maybe yeah. have similar um, identities or appearances. It impacts my ability to feel confident or, like, powerful. And I think that overlaps with gender for me, for sure. Being a shorter woman and being relatively younger than the people I work with for the most part, not just in my office, but just overall um, younger in the workforce. And feeling like I either can't like assert what I feel is the right thing to do or, you know, the right solution to a problem or feeling as though I would be overstepping. I worry a lot about overstepping and I don't know that I really am. I think sometimes I just worry that I am because I feel small. Like, it's weird to feel both fat and small at the same time. But I think depending on the situation, I can be, like, very aware of my weight in terms of body size. But in others, I'm more hyper aware of my height and my stature. And, you know, if I'm standing with someone especially, like, at a networking event or something, I feel that, like, intimidation factor, even if that's not what that person is trying to convey just the idea of looking up at someone and trying to have a conversation or, you know, they're probably just trying to hear me better, but that like almost patronizing feeling when someone bends over to try and hear you. It's like, can we just go sit down somewhere so I don't feel like you're my dad bending over me or something? So yeah, it definitely, definitely I find myself if, if I'm sitting and somebody walks into my office I immediately like stand up mm-hmm. or ask them to sit down. Yep. And even Agreed. when I stand up, I also take like two steps back so that I'm not like straining my neck to look up at you mm-hmm. um, and that we are kind of being able to look eye to eye a little yeah. bit. And so I find myself always taking a step back from people just so I can feel like I'm really talking to you yeah. and looking at you in the eye and not straining up to look at you and make it more obvious how short I am mm-hmm. um, to try to even out that playing field as much as I can. Yeah. And and I like nowadays, I don't even think about it. It's just automatic that I just yeah. if somebody walks in, I, if they remain standing, I stand up. Yeah. Height for me is a huge privilege that I have. And, I mean, I jokingly will tell my sister, like, how's the weather down there? She's 4'11", too. Uh, Jokingly, like, among ourselves, right? But I would never say, like, in public or in Mm -hmm. a professional setting because I don't know how that would impact her personally, right? And I would never want to belittle her in public like that due to her height. So it's something for me that I've never really thought about. So Yeah. I mean, but even, like, when you go to amusement parks, like, really, like, staring at the requirement for the rides (laughs) because that's a genuine concern that I might be too short. 
to sit on a particular ride. Yeah. I mean, most of them I'm not, but like I know nobody else that I go to the park with like bother even looking at it. But I actually look to be like, yeah. how many inches? You know, and it's 42 inches. I'm like, okay, I can go on that. Mm-hmm. But like I actually like look at it because there might be a potential that I can't go on it. Yeah. I think of almost just the added dynamic. Like when someone walks into your office and says, oh, do you have a minute? Depending on a lot of different things, you feel like you have to say you have a minute, right? Whether they're like a superior to you, maybe their age, maybe their gender. And I just think like body size is another one of those factors that makes me feel more like intimidated maybe by people um, into saying like, yeah, totally, I have a minute. And like wanting them to sit down so that they like stop standing over me. It's interesting. It impacts the way I view myself with weight, too, but, like, in a very different way. I don't know if either of you have ever been weighed publicly, but it's a very strange feeling. I would never. Publicly? Like, how so, like? Well, I mean, I guess I haven't necessarily experienced this in a workplace. I think it used to be a big thing to do, like, Biggest Loser in your workplace. Yes. Um, And kind of do those competitions. So I'm glad that we have kind of realized as a society that that's probably not a great plan. But even doctor's offices, I don't know how yours is set up, but my doctor's office literally has the scale like in the hallway where people are making their next appointment. So there's people sitting at a desk. There's someone standing there talking to the person at the desk. Oh, really? It's a super narrow hallway. So like people are walking behind you potentially like as you're getting weighed. And logically... No one's probably looking at the number that's coming up when I step on the scale. But just, like, the physical environment of it feels very public. Yes. And, like, people could judge you if they wanted. And, again, I think about if I was a bigger person, if I was, quote, super fat, I would probably block the majority of that hallway. So now someone is waiting for me to get weighed before they can walk Walk by. by. Like, I just can't imagine... That added layer, right? Yeah. I just I find myself hard. at doctor's offices, like, taking off every sweater. Mm-hmm. If I have a scarf on, like, my purse, like, you're going to take my shoes off. Like, whatever is going to help lower yeah. that number, mm-hmm. like, is very important to me. That number. Like, why do we put so much emphasis, I think, on the number and the BMI. BMI, body mass <laughs> index, right? Yeah. And I guess another thing about doctor's offices, too, is the way that doctors respond to people who are fat is oftentimes really dismissive. Um, We hear this with women of color giving birth. There's a lot of different populations that doctors are statistically more likely to dismiss their concerns, and fat people is one of them. You know, if they're saying, oh, I have this ache or this ailment or I'm worried about this lump or whatever, a lot of times it can be dismissed as like, you just need to lose weight. Or I remember as a kid being told, you know, I was always in that obese BMI zone and I was always told every time I went to the doctor, you'll be fine as soon as you grow. You'll be fine as soon as you grow. And I never grew height wise. Like Mm -hmm. I'm still the same height as I was that whole time. So if they had maybe given me some actual tools to be a quote unquote healthier weight at the time, which I guess gets into weird like diet shaming culture, little kids. So I don't know if that's ideal, but you know, they never really gave me any resources or ideas. They just said, oh, as soon as you grow, you'll be fine. And I think it's an even bigger problem as you get into people who are bigger and bigger sizes that it's often just attributed to their weight. It's just because they're obese. You know, you'll hear people who say like, that person was morbidly obese. They died because they were obese. Well, no, they died because they had other health complications. Mm. Um, But I think a lot of times 
it's easy to say, oh, just lose some weight and all your problems will be fixed. But that's not often the case. Yeah, it's, you know, I, as I mentioned, I'm about like 190, 192 and technically considered overweight. But there's always this assumption, like depending on who I ask. So I mentioned this cultural piece that when I go home sometimes, so I originally from Chicago, family lives in Chicago. So when I see my grandma, if I don't see her for a long period of time, the first thing she always comments on is my weight. Right. Mm. So she'll look at me. She'll be like, oh, like she'll give me a hug. And she's really short, too. She's actually shorter than like 4'11". So <laughs> so she's literally like half my height in yeah. some ways. And I'm hugging her. And she's like, oh, you gained a little weight. And I'm just like, OK. Like, you know, like yeah. what am I supposed to say? She's my grandma. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there'll be other times she'll be like, oh, my gosh, you're so skinny. Like, are you not eating? And I'm like, yeah, um, I am. Like, but mm-hmm. I could have sworn six months ago you told me I like was eating too much. Yep. So, so, I mean, I don't do it because of her. I don't, you know, put that in my head. But it's just it's a weird thing that. Like, upon first seeing somebody who's so close and dear to my heart that it's, like, the first thing she always has to comment on is my weight. And mm-hmm. it's just it's just weird. I've always been to that. You know, when I, growing up, I was a lot bigger. Like, I was, like, getting more around. Fifth, sixth grade, I started walking from my house to school because I lived in the neighborhood where I went to school. And I lost a ton of weight because of that. And so then mm-hmm. that kind of led to this, like, on and off journey of just, like, my body weight. My body weight, I just generally realized, like, fluctuates a lot. I typically lose the most weight when I do fluctuate, like, in my legs, and everything, like, in my stomach stays. So <laughs> so I'll have that little stomach, you know, I'll have that little gut that, like, stands out. And then depending on who you ask, it's it's all subjective. And so I'm just kind of like, I think for me, I've, I focus a lot more of how I perceive myself to be so that it doesn't then impact me in spaces, like, outside of my own personal home. So, like, when I think about work and I think about the gym, and I've talked about this too, like how I view the gym now as more of a de-stressor rather than viewing it as for the sake of losing weight because when I did view it that way, I would be like, oh, I don't want to go, like, you know? But when I view it as a way for me to de-stress and as part of my own well-being for my own sanity and my own self-care, then the incentive for me is a lot greater. So then I think, okay, like, I have all this on my plate. I'm just going to put it to the side for like an hour, an hour and a half, go to the gym, de-stress, listen to music. It's just for me. Like, I recognize, like, if I invest the time in my well-being by going to the gym, then I'm going to reap so many more benefits out of it, rather than when I used to focus it on just being for the purpose of losing weight. Not to say that it's going to work for everybody, but that's just something that for me has been really helpful in really reframing my own mindset of going to the gym and stuff. It's, you know. But you have to remember that when you are overweight, that going to the gym is yep. an extremely scary thought. That's what I was yeah. just thinking. Yeah, it is very hard to take yeah. that first step and actually walk into a gym. So this year in Anthony, it's hard to be relaxed when you feel like yes. everyone's watching you. Yeah. Yes, it and and nobody really is. Sorts, yeah. Everybody's doing their own thing. Probably nobody's watching you, but it's this thought that everybody's watching yeah. me yeah. because I'm the overweight person here mm-hmm. in this place, right? And I can't. You see all those pictures on like the news and TV and so forth. It's like the obesity epidemic, and it like yeah. chops your head off. Or it's like people in the gym who are overweight. So. It makes you feel like people are watching you. Yes. But then there's mirrors everywhere. And you're like, if you're not in front of me, you can see yeah. my back. You can see every angle. Yeah. yeah. And it's, then it's like, where am I jiggling as I'm walking on mm-hmm. this treadmill? All of those thoughts like are playing in your head while you're doing it. So this year, my New Year's resolution has been to take care of me in every aspect, emotionally, mentally, physically. And so I Good joined CrossFit. Oh. That's intense. It is the most. In- and I. it took me two months. I had to think about it all of November and all of December to work my way up to say, okay, so then in December, I did like three one-on-one sessions with just a personal trainer. Mm -hmm. And even at that point, I was like, oh, I cannot do this with other people. 
I didn't want other people to see me. Yeah. Like physically trying to do stuff that they were all able to do and I can't. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I can't do this with other people. I'm going to have to continue these one-on-one sessions. And the only thing that actually made me go to the group session is the cost. Mm, Because the one-on-one session was way more expensive than actually joining the group. And so that's the only thing that to this day. So I've been going for about a month now. And it's the only thing that gets me there is this, okay, like I have to go with these people. And now once having gone there... I find that they are some of the most supportive people anywhere, and they all talk about this is where I started, and I wasn't able to lift this much weight, and I wasn't able to walk this much or do this many jumping jacks or whatever it is. So, like, you feel like, okay, well, I can be there. Give me a year, and maybe I can get where you are, right? Yeah. But it was probably one of the most hardest things I've done in a really long time is to actually say I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this for myself. And even after I tried it, I was like, nope, I can't. Like, it took a lot of, like, me getting out of my own head to yeah. say, I'm going to do this. And same thing, I ha- I have to do it for health reasons now, mm-hmm. not necessarily to lose weight, but yeah. that's what got me there. Yeah, I think that's the, the thing I struggle with in terms of working out in any form, whether it's at the gym or just doing something outside, is that kind of balance between accepting my body as it is and trying to change it with food or exercise and that idea of body positivity and how much, how you define it. You know, some people are like, well, I'm body positive as long as you're not obese or I'm body positive as long as you can shop in a standard department store or whatever. You know, some people kind of have that caveat, whether explicit or implied. But even I struggle with that of like, okay, do I just love myself the way I am and say I don't enjoy going to the gym or enjoy working out, so I'm just not going to? Or do I say I'm not healthy at this size and I need to change? And what does that imply about people who are bigger than me or heavier than me? You know, I think we talked in our group about you can be a lot of different sizes and have quote-unquote healthy numbers in terms of doctor's office type numbers. And my cholesterol is too high. So like, By definition of the numbers, I need to work out and eat healthier, but I struggle with, I really fluctuate. And I'll say, I think that's even like linked to mental health is I go through these moments where I don't care what people think of me. I don't care how I look. I don't care how my clothes fit. I'm going to eat what I want when I want and love myself for who I am. And then I go to like the other end of the extreme. And neither of those are healthy, right, mentally or physically. But it's really something I'm still working through is like what what really is body positivity for me and where's where's healthy physically while also being like forgiving of myself mentally yeah and i'm just thinking about we've we talked a little bit about how like impacts how we show up at work too but having been a part of that group with you mia with the body positivity group like have there been any changes in how you've perceived your own body image specifically like at work in terms of the things that we've talked about, the adjustments that you've made with like the foot thing or even just your body size as a whole? I think it's just encouraged me to be more forward. You know, I was, and this actually wasn't with Cornell, but just in the Ithaca area, like a day-long retreat that I was going to be a part of. And it was a chair like those Cafe Jenny chairs. And I was like, I cannot sit in this chair all day long. And before that group, I probably or before even just like knowing and having those conversations with other people about body size, I probably wouldn't have said anything. I probably would have just sucked it up and like squeezed myself into the chair for an eight hour day. (laughs) 
But I think just talking with other people has kind of given me the courage to say things more. You know, the courage to go to that person and say, hey, I think I saw this in your closet. Do you mind if I take your footstool? Or courage to say, like, I'm going to grab a chair from a different room because this chair does not work for me. You know, I don't think I would have said that before having the like unity of other people with a common experience. So I know that there's this group that exists, and I think they're giving out just an amazing message, and it's, it's giving a lot of confidence to people. But what can other Cornell employees do who are not members of this mm-hmm. group or who don't attend these meetings? What can they do in, in terms of creating that positive atmosphere for individuals? Yeah, I think it varies depending on who you work with. But for me, I think it's a lot about those food-based meetings. Have a variety of different foods there. Don't make commentary about who's eating which foods or, oh, I got these. So for the people who are being good, or just buy a variety of food and put it on the table and let people eat. You know, like just stop making it a big deal. I would say, depending on what area of campus you work on, there are different things, right? There are some people who plan events and do more like giveaways and stuff. And that's like, make sure you have a broad range of sizes or try and bring like a body positive, fat inclusive speaker to campus. Or if you work in facilities, like make the bathroom stalls bigger. I can hardly turn around, you know? Mm -hmm. So just like, I think there's something you could do for lots of different parts of campus. Um, depending on on where you work. But I, I would almost say one of my biggest recommendations is to follow your fat friend. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're like an anonymous personality on social media. On Instagram, Facebook? Yeah. Okay, um, okay. I know they're at least on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and it's just YR, like your fat friend. And they just post so many valuable things perspectives from fat people. I just saw a story the other day that was like how to be a fat ally, like ways to make sure that people who are somewhere on the fat spectrum trust straight size people more. Just all sorts of different like personal experiences, tips. They do a lot of the like asking the question where the audience can respond. So you Mm -hmm. see a really wide range of experiences or things that you're like, oh, that's just my one friend complaining. You see like 10 other people saying that they have that experience, too. And they're just one of the biggest people that I like look to for different advice, encouragement, information about body size overall. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, just to add to that Cornell piece, I'll have to tell you that one of the best things that my current supervisor, Angela, did for me when I first started is actually go through the economic assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not make you feel bad about it. Correct. Yes. It was actually just saying, hey, let's make sure that everything is set up the way you want to set up. So let's have the person come in. And that's just yeah. how I was presented. Yeah. And it was it had nothing to do with my size or mm-hmm. anything. It was just like, want to make sure that you're comfortable in your office mm-hmm. and that everything is set up the way you want right. to set up. And without the like, oh, and it might mean that we have to buy you a $300 chair. Like, I don't want the the caveat with it. Correct. Um, so that I feel guilty taking the recommendation mm-hmm. of the of the analysis person. I don't know what their title is, but, yeah, you know, to really just offer it openly and say, you know, we'll do what we need to to make you comfortable. That's um, it. Instead of and just keep it simple. Yeah. As instead that. of like, oh, the assessment's free, but the stuff that they suggest isn't free. 
Yeah. But the same thing was done for one of our other coworkers who is really tall, mm-hmm. right? And so, so the standard size height doesn't work for them yeah, because they're just tall. And so same thing, the opposite mm-hmm. problem for me, the standard size height doesn't work for me because then I have to put my chair higher and then my feet dangle yeah. all day and then they're swollen when I go yeah. home at the end of the day. So just as a supervisor, just taking that extra step, being more conscious that, hey, not everybody might fit the standard size desk, mm-hmm. right? And so just being aware and, and making it like normal, for you to say, hey, let's just have somebody come in, assess, make sure everything is okay for you. Yeah. Without having to actually talk about because you're tall or because mm-hmm. you're short or yeah. whatever it is. And right. I think, like, not everybody at Cornell works in an office space, too, right? So I'm thinking right. about, like, broader things. Aside from the social media suggestion I just gave, things like offering options of where to sit or what to do or where to meet. You know, if someone offered me, like, oh, do you want to meet? in A or B, like I know what mm-hmm. space I'm going to be more comfortable in. Or even just thinking about like if you're having a, you know, a lot of teams that are kind of spread across campus will have some sort of like roundup in the morning where they all meet together. Don't have it in some crammed little office where everyone has to jam in and stand the whole time. Like find a space that's comfortable for people to gather or even just thinking about whether you plan team builders or icebreakers or whatever it is, there's a lot of things, I think, in a college or university setting where one person is responsible for planning something for like a small to medium-sized group of people. I think of it like I think about physical ability accessibility. Like your icebreaker should be something that doesn't have to involve you sitting, standing, jumping, like mm-hmm. try to make it something that everyone can participate in in your group. It goes back to, you know, as we talked about with getting as much input as possible, but also one of the things that I think is just really important that I've taken away so far with this conversation is, like, the importance of language, too, and how and what we say, or rather how we say it is more important than actually what we say sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. So thinking about body language, thinking about tone of voice, like, those things play such a huge role in how people, you know, will feel like they have a sense of belonging or feel like they're being welcomed and accepted. So that whole piece with, you know, the ergonomics assessment, right, and not having to feel like, oh, it's an additional barrier, and we're mm-hmm. going to make sure that you know that by the way that we respond to it. Like, we can afford this. We can't afford that. Well, mm-hmm. you already got the assessment, so it's up to you to decide what it is you're going to do with it, but not putting that onus then on the person who Correct. is getting that assessment to then have to feel like, they're a burden or they're, you know, because that's the worst way I feel like to start a job if you get that type of assessment when you first start here. And then you're like, oh, clearly this means you have to go out of your way. So even if you do have to go out of your way, don't make it very obvious to the other person and just consider it as common practice to implement with everybody on your team, not just that one person, right? Mm-hmm. So so I think that's something that I keep hearing of like of how we say certain things and how we make people feel is much more important sometimes than what we actually say. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Even with terminology, like, you know, we're talking about how you present uh, an option or something like that. But some people really would rather be called like a person of size. Some people really own the word fat. And I think you can tell how comfortable people are with different terminology by how they say it. You know, if you're talking with a group who has to order a bunch of shirts for something, when they're like, oh, well, maybe we should order, like, I don't know, for bigger people, you know, just by the way that they say it, you can kind of get a sense of, like, how receptive they'd be to you as someone who's maybe a bigger person. 
when we talk about a lot of times letting students or staff identify themselves the way they want, if someone calls themselves fat, I'm going to call them fat too. I think a common experience for people um, who identify as fat is someone saying, oh, no, you're not fat. You're Mm -hmm. pretty or like as if the two are mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. Like you're not fat. You're this or like, oh, you're you're not as big as so and so and like comparing just don't play that game. Just call them what they wish to be called. Or even just saying, oh, you're not fat. And I was like, I know you see me. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so don't ignore that either. I know how big I am. Yeah. Right. And so also almost like trying to not even talk about it as something that exists. And I was like, well, if you physically see me, then you know how big I am. I know how big I am. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's the part for me. It's like, I wouldn't say you're fat at all. I think a lot of identities are tied to calling yourself what you'd like to be called. And if you are autistic person who wants to say autism is a core part of my identity, I want autism first. You know, I think we tend to go for people first language, like person of size or person with autism. But sometimes people want to own that term and put that first. It's a really big part of who they are. And if that person is proud of being fat, then that's their choice. It's not up to you to tell them how they should feel. At the end of the day, even if you're not familiar with it, or even if you feel like it might cross certain boundaries, but if they've identified themselves as such, Mm -hmm. then respect that, you know. That's their identity. Then, yeah, and call them by their identity that they choose to, even if, societally speaking, it might be considered something different. Mm -hmm. So, I think that's really key. As we wrap up this conversation, I think we got one more question, which is, you know, we've talked about a lot of things, and I think this is definitely something we could easily probably spend two, three, four hours, maybe a whole day session retreat on. But in terms of, I guess, the final message, final takeaway that you want listeners to take away from our conversation about body size as a whole and especially how it impacts us at work, what would you say would be that final takeaway message to let people know? My biggest takeaway would be just to think critically. I think sometimes in the college or university setting, we can kind of, especially at a really decentralized place like Cornell, kind of push things off onto other people like, oh, well, that's not really my area or that's not something that I need to deal with or I don't see students that much, so this isn't relevant to me. And I think just take a step back and really look at what you do on a day-to-day basis and how some of what you could do could impact your colleagues, could impact students that maybe you don't directly interact with, but there's a trickle down. So, you know, whether that's you are the purchasing department and you are thinking about what chairs Cornell is even allowed to buy, um, maybe they have a certain weight requirement or something, or whether you are in, I don't know, like commencement, um, making sure that the gowns that people wear on one of the biggest occasions of their lives are size inclusive. I think there's something, there's at least one thing, right, that every department could do, whether it impacts students or their fellow colleagues. There's always something. All right, Toril, time to share our thoughts and reflections on this topic. So just to start the conversation, I specifically want to acknowledge everything that you shared about yourself and about your experience with this topic. So in terms of listening back to the episode and to the recording and the interview that we did with Mia, how are you kind of feeling right now with everything that you just shared? 
So I, I guess vulnerable is the right word. Um, we've said that a couple of times already, that this was a very vulnerable episode and that we shared a lot of personal details. And so in a way, I feel freeing because it's not something that I talk about with a lot of people. So it was very freeing to actually have a conversation and have a guest here who understands kind of what I'm going through. Not necessarily the same experiences in life, but, you know, there are things that we can bond over. At the same time, I also have this, oh, my God, like, what did I do? And I really put myself out there kind of mentality, too. And I don't know how I feel about being so vulnerable and so open about kind of the things that we've shared. So it's a little bit of both. Like, I'm feeling free and at the same time, not. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. I think it does. I think there's always that moment at least for me, I'll speak for myself, of when, whenever I share something that's very vulnerable, I then question kind of like, was it worth it? How far did I go? Is this something that I actually want people to listen to? But I think in listening back to everything that that I shared, and even all three of us, right, Mia, you, and myself, listening back to it, I think there was just so much valuable information and just so many gems in terms of experiences and things that personally for me that I often don't think about because of my height privilege in terms of not really having to think too much about body size in terms of weight and height. And that's also something that for me in in reflecting back on why I wanted to do this particular episode, it was something that I'll be honest with you and really say that I only focused on the weight piece. Like I kind of went into this conversation really, even having the conversation with Mia talking about just weight in terms of body size, but in having the conversation that we had throughout the interview, I was like, oh, snap, you know, there's other aspects that affect your weight and your body size and not just like how you perceive yourself, but also height as well. And so that's something that for me, I think was, it was so insightful to have that moment during the interview. But I guess in reflecting back on it, it's just something that still really stands out for me that I need to really be. And it's also, I would say, Aside from maybe the topic that we talked about in terms of imposter syndrome, it's one of the very few shows and episodes where we really focus on like the intersection of two core identities. Sure, yeah, right? like definitely. Height, height not necessarily being an identity, but something that impacts right how we perceive ourselves as a whole. And so it was nice to have that conversation of the two aspects that make up body size uh, and how it impacts us in terms of our personal lives, which then alternatively impact how we navigate the world, how we navigate work, how we navigate so many other spaces, right, outside of work yeah, as well. Yeah, and um, for me, I think, like, once the episode concluded with our guest, I think I obviously reflected a lot. And I think what I really identified about myself is that that is a salient identity for me, is that my body size is up front and foremost in almost everything that I do. It's not necessarily my gender or my race that impacts my life as much as body size does. That's pretty eye-opening. So moving forward, Toril, what are some of the things? So first off, what are maybe some a couple of takeaways that you took away from the conversation in addition to some of the things that we've already talked about, as well as what are some things that you're going to commit to to fostering a more inclusive environment in regards to the topic of body size? In listening to Mia actually um, share her story, I think there were some things that even though I have body size issues of my own are things that I've never had to deal with in terms of like being able to fit in a chair or is this person going to be comfortable at a meeting those are kinds of things I don't think about in a work setting 
And so going forward, I think those are the things that I will kind of put into play when we talk about accessibility as a whole. I want to talk about like chair sizes and is this, you know, are the chairs in, in a particular conference room going to be accommodating to all different body sizes and all different heights, right? And so those kinds of things, I think I'm going to have, uh, it's going to be more forefront in my mind when I'm planning meetings and thinking about how can I make any space more accommodating or more accessible to every individual that's going to be walking in the door. How about you, Anthony? Any takeaways for you? So many takeaways. I think a lot about, so I think the meeting space thing really Mm -hmm. stood out to me because oftentimes, especially even as I think about for another program that I oversee, the Inclusive Excellence Academy, I always think about space in terms of how many people can fit in the space, but I never really have thought about, okay, how are people of different body sizes going to feel comfortable in that particular sure, space. Yep. So what type of chairs are going to be there? Are they going to have wheels on them or not? And is that going to make anybody uncomfortable in terms of size or any other accommodation? So that's something that I think in the planning process, and I think one of the things that really stood out to me, which I also shared a lot about in terms of how to kind of prevent some of these situations that might happen around body size is to to really plan in an intentional and strategic way right. so that you're keeping this in mind before an event or before a situation happens, not after the fact. Right. So I think for me, I think just being more intentional and explicit about that pre-planning process and that I am thinking about body size as part of the piece of like, how are people going to feel in that space? How are people going to adjust to that space when I facilitate a training? I think that's something that during the day of the event, I'll just be so much more mindful of, of like how people are navigating the space in terms of size and in terms of height as well because that's something I talked about not really having to think about. But, yeah, there might be some challenges with people who are really tall or some people who are really short. So just keeping that in mind as well as in the pre-planning for things like the Inclusive Excellence Academy. All right, Tora. Well, once again, I just want to thank you for being so vulnerable on this particular show and on this particular topic. And uh, it was definitely a learning experience for me as well, sharing a little bit more about myself and my role and kind of how I view my own body size. So just want to... In the spirit of micro-affirmations, affirm you in your lived experiences and your identities, the many identities that you carry with you every single day. So thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable on this particular show. And I want to thank you for acknowledging your privilege when it comes to your height, because I think that is very powerful. And it's a great message to send to others who are listening that acknowledging your privileges can help really move a conversation forward. Thank you. That's it for this month's show. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe and submit a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. It helps new listeners find us and the show. Also, if you or a fellow colleague would like to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, please email us at ie-academy at cornell.edu. My name is Toral Patel. My name is Anthony Sis. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Workforce Diversity in collaboration with Cornell Broadcast Studio. A special shout out and thank you to Bert Odom Reed, our sound engineer, for making us sound wonderful each and every episode. Thanks, Thanks, Bert. Bert.